0: Today's program has been brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit www.rt11.com.
1: I'm Grace Bonney of After the Jump, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
0: This is Severin, and this is Greenhorns Radio, radio for young farmers by young farmers. And today we have a focus on ranch land and ranch land continuity, and some of the strategies that families are employing to help the land stay in agriculture and stay in their family, which is of course a topic of great interest to many of us uh, who were recently in attendance at the Our Land Symposium held by Agrarian Trust out in Berkeley, California. Uh, the audio podcasts of that event are available online at agrariantrust.org. So we're going to continue in this series, uh, in, this, in this vein, to explore the options for families dealing with tenure issues. And I'm so thankful today to have on the phone um, Linda Decker from the Triggs Ranch in, how do I say this, Tucumcari, in New Mexico.
1: Uh, That's right, Severin.
0: Hello. Welcome, Linda. Thank you for joining. Well, thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Um, Well, I think we should just get started right away and talk a little bit about the Tucumcari region and what it means to be a viable ranch operation in your part of the world.
1: I don't know that it's different from any other part of the world, Severin. Um, That's been ranch country for... Well over a century now, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of different kinds of ranches around that area, um, some of them are still fairly big, and uh, we decided that's well, what we wanted to keep on would doing. Be,
0: what's the history of your own family's ranch there, and how have you approached the, the topic of keeping that ranch going?
1: Well, my grandfather, and, along with his brothers and his father, bought that land in 1917. It had been part of the 750,000-acre Bell Ranch, which still exists. Uh, it's much smaller now. And in ni- the um, early 1920s, when the U.S. Army canceled all its meat contracts, didn't have to feed soldiers in Europe anymore, uh, they couldn't pay for it and lost a Lost a good bit of the land and divided it then among the brothers, and that has not always been a happy situation. So, my grandfather, Steve Trigg, and his wife, Bess, uh, ran the ranch until he died in 1937, and my grandmother took over, ran it until her son gradually took over. He ran it until his death in 2002. And just before that, The seven heirs of us in the next uh, generation, the third generation, um, decided that we didn't want each of us to inherit a little puny little piece of land, but we wanted Trig Ranch to keep on being Trig Ranch, and we wanted to be able to come. So we established a trust, and each of us deeded all our property and all our rights into that trust, so none of us have any separate ownership. And our only benefit is that we can come to the ranch. We have the right of of uh, coming out there, of access to it. So, oh, just a little That's back- what we've done, Severin. Back-
0: I'm sorry. A little, a little bit of a little bit of backstory for our for our listeners. A trust is a legal term, and in in a trust, the trustee basically can hold on to something for a beneficiary. So, in this sense, the family is the beneficiary or I suppose the the beneficiary is the ranch manager?
1: I don't quite know how to answer that, Severin. Um, the beneficiaries, we call ourselves, there are 23 beneficiaries now. Of the next generations, and uh, we call ourselves beneficiaries, but we have no rights except access. So, and the trustee has no—the three trustees have no um, right to except to maintain the ranch. And it's a perpetual trust. We had to search around to find a state in which we could hold it as a perpetual trust.
0: So I guess let's talk a little bit about that, how how you approached as a family. Once you had the idea that you wanted to just keep the the ranch intact and maintain access for all of the members of the family, but not cash in or liquidate the asset, how did you approach that process?
1: Well, first of all, we decided we wanted to do it, and my husband is still surprised at that. He said, we can't even decide where to have lunch together in town. Um, but we all felt very strongly that we wanted the ranch to continue. And so my cousin Sally, who is a le- lawyer by training, uh, started searching for someone who would help us set up the trust. <laughs> and the first seven she talked to said, no, you can't do it. And the last one got really excited about it and was a tremendous help to us, um, helping us. We each, I think, or each couple at least met with him at some point and talked over our concerns and interests and um, answered some of his questions. So then he drafted the, the um, trust document, and he and Sally figured out all the details um, there were were some fairly complex bits of sub trusts, which I believe lasted only until all of us had deeded all our interest in. But it had to do with gifting tax uh, procedures, so that, that none of us were um, vulnerable to gift tax in the.
0: And, in a and you weren't vulnerable that, took... to gift tax because it was a perpetual trust, and that was the definition no. that allowed you to put value forward uh, without paying gift no. tax, is that correct?
1: We were not vulnerable to gift tax because we were giving it technically to each of the other beneficiaries. E- each of them had a sub, a crummy trust, it was called, um, which uh, was subordinate to the to the Stephen Best Trigg Trust. And we gave them each the maximum of $10,000 uh, value in a year. So that it took several years. It took four years, I think. Uh, and then those crummy trusts, I believe, disappeared um, once all the property was into the trust.
0: So it's kind of a, it's kind of, it was kind of a three-part, uh, many, many multi-part project. And you mentioned um, in your article that the agreement there was part of the agreement in which the ranch could be sold in the future um, in case all 85 percent of the heirs did agree, um, and that that was going to be you know you had to keep that as a as a as a possibility in case the the ranch became financially unhealthy or couldn't right. Um, couldn't go back; would go bankrupt. Um, do you want to reflect on how you, did, how were you discussing those? How did, how did you make that decision? I guess is the question.
1: How the the decision that it could be sold at some time. Yeah, I mean, I
0: suppose is? you're making up those numbers. Eighty-five percent of the area <laughs> Yeah.
1: Well, I guess we we thought there had to be some way out and we particularly wanted to avoid any situation in which any of the beneficiaries would benefit by it but would get any cash payout even even under those circumstances so the agreement is that should the ranch ever be sold the benefit would go to charity of some sort what we wanted to and avoid so did- was having any any way that anybody could have a reason or a way to demand that the ranch be sold, and and they get end up. You know, there's all kinds of situations where somebody would need medical treatment or um, some benefit for a education or, or, or a business. You know, there will be times down the line when people could sure use the money from the ranch, but we wanted to avoid any way in which they could do that.
0: Well, and and the history of so many young farmers, when you ask them, well, did you come from a family of farming, they will often say, no, I didn't, I was born in the city, but my grandmother lost the ranch in the 30s, or my great-grandfather lost the ranch before that, or, you know, my my uncle lost his ranch that he had. So, the story of land loss is almost a constant refrain within the agricultural community and, of course those who are no longer in agriculture, many of their um, ancestors were. Um, and in in your case, it's almost as if you emancipated the land from the burden of bearing the economic uh, cost of life in America in that sense that <laughs> you're saying these kinds of economic emergencies that tend to occur within families are no longer going to affect your Land, have you, have you been in conversation with other ranch or farm families who learned about your, your endeavor, and, and how have they reacted?
1: I have not, but I believe my cousin Sally, the lawyer, has, has talked to people, and we, uh, there's somewhere on our website is, is a comment that anybody who is particularly interested can call. I think uh, maybe probably fewer than half a dozen as far as I know. Uh, people have have gotten in touch with us. I have no idea, of course, who might have taken the idea and found another way to run with it. Another aspect of this, Severin, is that uh, because none of us have any ownership, there will be no death duties. You know, so many ranches were lost because because the, when the, the estate taxes couldn't be paid without selling off part of the land.
0: And I and it's almost as if it's become and so there's no death duties, but you still have to pay taxes and insurance, and those are borne by the business. Yes. But you're not you're not having to pay a death duty at each changeover of the generation. I guess the only thing is right. that you're going to continue to have more and more and more beneficiaries, and they're all going to want to come to the ranch, and you might have a problem <laughs> with the plumbing if everybody's using the ranch
1: There house. is that. There is that. We, at one point, talked about allowing each of the seven beneficiaries in that first generation to uh, to have a plot of land on the ranch to build a uh, retirement home. And we thought that was likely to develop. And then each, as we call them clans, could have, uh, have built a, little cottage or some sort of something um and they're and that could be handed down within their their own heirs and and so forth but i don't think that's going to happen uh partly well who knows <laughs> with a perpetual trust but partly we're discovering that the thought of retiring out there we're four hours from a hospital and um there isn't anybody around to help you with your own household chores and that that sort of thing. So, I, and it would be terribly lonely, and it's a long, bleak winter. So, um, so I'd, I kind of doubt that any of those houses would be built.
0: Well, so it bears mention that your ranch is being operated under a holistic management framework, and that you're in the you're in the livestock business and thinking over as a result over long term and noticing uh, notice being in an arid region makes you even more sensitive to the, to the <laughs> changes in the landscape yes. and, and to the long-term prospects, uh, do you feel that that informs your capacity to make these kinds of long-term, um, you know, perpetual decisions that really don't seem to be the norm as now uh, within farm families?
1: I don't know that the... The specific circumstances influenced us much in, in our choice to, to go the holistic route and to pay a whole lot of attention to the sustainable things. It just that when we were acquainted, became acquainted with that, it made all kinds of sense, um, no, matter, no matter where we are. Well, it does
0: the land seem is, that the... is. Oh, go ahead.
1: The, the the land is pristine well it's 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 virgin none of it has ever been um farmed except a little bit a little bit of haying down in one of the the valleys but um it's it's as it has been and there there are a lot of places on the ranch where you can see 10 15 20 miles in every direction and see only maybe one road and though you know there's a few odd Power lines, but uh, one power line running up through the ranch. But it's it's um, it's untouched, and the there are no pressures. There's not enough water out there to attract anybody to develop it, and just, we're far enough from any place that is not really appealing as a dude ranch or any of that stuff. <laughs> so there really there really wasn't anything very tempting to. To to do uh, to do anything other than just keep on with it as a ranch, so we're lucky. In that since
0: it's the perfect it's the perfect context to develop a long term vision because for for ranching because not much other than ranching is really viable there sounds like,
1: right, right. We could have done the hunting thing. We could have uh, somebody approached us about oil uh, surveys, and there is some activity out there some chance of that. Um, But we decided, no, we wanted to be a cattle ranch.
0: Now, I guess the next set of questions would have to do with the way that the ranch is managed. At this time, you have some family members managing the ranch. And I wonder, is there any connection between the beneficiaries, who I know from reading this uh, document, they only have the right to visit and they don't have the right uh to sell uh and they don't have any income related to the ranch, but do they have any oversight over the management team uh or say on, on yes. who gets to manage and how they manage the land and the animals?
1: Yes. Um the the three trustees of which I'm one um have that all all of that authority and responsibility and they hired the ranch manager and will do so in the future. And we agreed that if there's a beneficiary who is interested in the in being manager, that they kind of get first dubs, but the trustees would be responsible for making a sensible decision anyway. And then the uh, family as a whole, although officially it's the trustees, I uh, have elected a board of seven members, seven beneficiaries, who meet by phone monthly. We will meet later this afternoon, in fact, um, and go over all the details with the manager and uh, ask questions and <laughs> encourage her, hold her hand, uh, check on the financial reserves of the ranch and, um, you know, talk over any major decisions that she's interested in making. Uh, like new equipment, primarily, and uh, sort of back her up, but have the authority to uh, challenge her anyway. And, and the trustees could take action if they needed to.
0: So that's a that's a pretty intensive management oversight on monthly basis. Is is still being very much involved. In the in the in the ranching business and staying really on top of it, uh, which obviously would not be necessarily the case for absentee families, or or if this were re- replicated by say an investor or um, uh, some kind of nonprofit or conservation organization, they probably wouldn't be on the phone every month checking in on checking in on things. But I bet that's a very important part of. Staying solvent, having really good uh, communication within the family, and making sure that everything is going well. I guess the question I have is, in watching how things have gone since you've started, are you satisfied with the with the structural decisions that you've made, or do you see room for improvement, or um, any important lessons to share with those who might try and repeat your repeat your success?
1: I, overall, I'm absolutely delighted with it, Severin. And one of the interesting things has been that um, there are a lot of skills within the family that that we can call on. There are several people that are accustomed to managing businesses and know how to read financial reports, and um, some who are more aware of the, the ranching side of it than I am, for instance. Um, so that. It's it's really been intriguing, and we've been doing a lot of work on the houses out there. (laughs) It's kind of interesting to see who knows how to do the plumbing and who knows how to do the wiring, and and my brother is the uh, computer guru. Uh, So all of that has worked out really well. The only part that I'm concerned about is that um, we started out with a newsletter, which I think was going to be monthly or something, too, in the beginning and it's been really hard to keep that up the people who know what's going on out there don't have time to sit down and write a newsletter Uh, the people who have time and would be inclined to write a newsletter don't know what's going on in in much detail and uh so that's that's me also i think most of the family are introverts and uh we all married extroverts but Communication within the family has never been a strong suit. Uh, We do all show up out there uh, for work week in June, and uh, there's likely to be 30 of us or so with a few friends sprinkled in. And and so everybody sits in on the annual meeting in June, elects new board members, and talks over whatever seems to be the, the, the issue at the moment. Uh, so that 's that 's something, but I think we really need, particularly with the increasing number of, of beneficiaries, we really need to figure out some way we 've got a Facebook page and we 've got a blog, and nobody ever puts anything on it <laughs> uh, but But the communications issue I think is a major one
0: i I agree, I think that 's a very wide. Uh, insight i i want to just go a little bit more into the work week be- into the work week because um that seems like a really important ingredient in the success of this could you talk a little bit about what goes on during work week and um and what you've what you've experienced in 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 doing that and making that into a, an annual ritual
1: <laughs> well uh it all started in i think 19 19- 97, when we took um, the ashes of some of the family members out there, and, and there's a, a high mesa with uh, a, a point on the mesa that um, is pretty central to the ranch, and there's been a cross-up on that mesa for many, well, since the early 1800s anyway, and before our time, and so we go scatter the ashes up there, and I think there's 21 or 23 people up there now, um, so when we went out there, there were, oh ten, twelve, fifteen 10, 12, 15 of us, I guess. And um, we were all staying down at my grandmother's house, which at that point had been empty for about 15 years, 20 years. <laughs> we all sat around the table that night and, and said, we want to be able to come out here, and we want to be able to stay here, and we've got to fix it because there were some problems with the septic system and the water system at that point point, so and the floor beams. And so we agreed to meet out there the next year as soon as school was out and put a steel beam under the living room floor under the grand piano and um, started repainting, reglazing all the windows. And over 10 years, we fixed it all, gutted the kitchen, put in a new kitchen, and the whole new water system, new uh, gas pipes, new electricity. And had somebody come in and do the plastering, it already had a new roof. So we've done just about everything there is to be done to that house. And it's delightful. There's five double bedrooms, so there's room for a lot of uh, folks. And then there's a, a bunkhouse with uh, six bunks and another bedroom. Um uh, so we all stay there when we when we come and working that hard and being able to see the results of it and finding that each person who comes has a, a skill and an an interest. So some are kind of devoted to the windows and some to the plumbing and some to the carpentry things. So it's. Uh, there's a job for everybody, and you know one of the fun things is that the littlest kids—they're getting—they're in high school now. But when the kids were oh six, eight, ten years old, they were so handy crawling around in the crawl space, handing tools and and wires to the the folks that were working there. Uh, you know, there's a job for everybody, and I think everybody is committed to what we've achieved there. So we're now we started on another house. And there's a young couple with a baby due that are going to live there when it's fixed. So, you know, it, it keeps going
0: on. Well, and you just think about there's, how many, how many renters could use a community of 23 or 42 or 83 people who are connected <laughs> to it, who have skills and who have love and care for that place. And... To think in, uh, in in the sense of stewardship, how in fact that benefits the land so much, and that there's so many farms who are so barren and ranches too of, of of community and of familial connection, and would benefit so much if we, you know, just the the idea of a retirement cottage alone is is a very human response to what happens in, in in family farming and family ranching and, and in many other countries it's the norm for that retiring uh, farm couple to stay on the land uh, and retire in a smaller cottage or apartment on top of the main house. And in this country, um, you know, the norm is to sell the farm and, well, move to Florida or move to town.
1: <laughs> yep. Yep.
0: So... So I really have appreciated very much your your time telling this story. I um, we I think we've been working on a, a little write up of your ranch plan, and and we hope that it will be a useful tool for those who are considering how they're going to manage their own land um, and the future of that land. And obviously, it means that the family has to be free of the kind of um, economic panic that seems um, really almost endemic in this time, and especially when college education and health care are so expensive and costly um, for a family to be able not to liquidate the assets that, or the, the value that's embedded in the land. And to see the long term is, is really, um, it's, so, it's heartening, and it's also, I think, understandably rare um, for that reason I wanted to make sure everyone who's listening knows that we have a series of stories and strategies on the agrarian trust website where we've been profiling the experience of um, entering farmers retiring farmers aspiring farmers uh, new uh, social impact investors who are trying to create uh, more shared ownership and shared wealth in terms of their farmland investment and and food system investment, in order to broaden the kind of palette of opportunities that we are looking at, and and the way that we think about our land, and we move forward um, in designing our care of that land. So I, I just want to thank you so much, Linda, for for being willing to talk about this, and I just wanted to give you a chance um, to mention any resources that you found useful in in pursuing this project or. Um, uh, organizations that you recommend or anything that we haven't had a chance to cover?
1: Well, I think um, one resource that might be useful to other people is our website, TrigRanch.com which has got a lot of of this information on it. There's an essay describing the transition to the trust and there's an update to that which is just ready to be posted now. And there are... uh, there's contact information to the uh, manager, and through her to uh, cousin Sally, who who can certainly help out with any of the um, legal stuff. I make give references anyway. Um, the uh, uh, Quivira Coalition conferences in in uh, New Mexico have certainly been useful to us, and and the contact through that the holistic management training. Uh, which various of us have had in various degrees, uh, has certainly been useful. And uh, that's all I think of, Severin, for the resources that I can offer. But I think the other thing I would say is if you've got a chance, grab it. <laughs> uh, times change, people change, and, and if some a favorable situation comes by, don't waste it
0: let's leave it there. May the favorable situation come by more often, and may we be in a better yes. position to capture it when it comes. Uh, this has been yes. another episode of Greenhorns Radio. We hope to stay useful and relevant, please. Send us your comments and suggestions, your feedback and response to the ongoing narrative as it arrives in your, e- in your email box, and your RSS feed, in your iPhone, or wherever you intend to listen to us. Um, thank you for joining us again, and see you all next week. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this program on org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes Store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time. At info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.